This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Heart Mojo with Melinda Smith. And Melinda, you have on another new guest for us. I love it. I do. I'm very excited. This is my friend David Koch. That's how we pronounce it, right? Coca-Cola. You got it right. There you go. From Assisted Living Locators. You know, we both work in the senior care industry, and he hits a challenge that I'm actually at right now in life. My mother's been home in the um, in the nursing home recuperating. Now she's home, and we don't know if she can stay home. And so the challenge for us boomers is, what do we do? How do we find an appropriate place? And this is what David does. So welcome to our show. Thank you for and, having me. You're welcome. Thank you for being on. And we would love to hear first, I want to hear how you got into this business. Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Um, I don't come from the industry. I actually had a 30-year corporate IT career. And uh, I had a lot of fun doing all kinds of things from being an IT manager to a, a database guy. I even did a lot of lean manufacturing over the last decade. Um, but, you know, hit, you hit a milestone like 30 years and you start to reflect and say, well, this was fun, but is this all there is? Or mm -hmm. I'd like to do something different, you know, shake it up a bit. And to make that happen, I, I stepped away from my career on good terms, but I knew if I didn't, inertia would kick in and I would just find myself a year later going, huh, that didn't happen. So I made it happen. And along the, you know, the first few months of, you know, looking around, I learned about assisted living locators. I didn't know that it was a thing people did. Um, my father had vascular dementia 10 years ago, and my sisters and I were, like so many people, thrust into that caregiver role. And we right. didn't, there were people or companies that would help you get through it. Um, we did the best we could. I know in hindsight, we made some mistakes and missed some opportunities. So I thought about assisted living locators and what I could help families do. And I thought, yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm looking for. I want to do some very good work with people help them get through a challenging period of life. Um, most people only go through it a few times. You know, maybe you have two parents, maybe four if you're married and you have in-laws, but it's not something anybody gets proficient at. And as a result, they're always stumbling and wondering, did I do everything right? Am I missing something? You know, did I really make the right decision? And I enjoy the fact that I can help a family get through that process with less stress, maybe less wasted time, wasted money, um, mm -hmm. and hopefully get to a better place quicker and easier than they would have on their own. Well, and so everybody's situation is different. So if you have in-laws and two sets of parents, you know, yeah. one could have dementia, one might not. One might be totally there and understanding what's going on, but physically can't do things anymore. And yeah, it's you a learn one way, but then now you have a whole different situation. Yeah, every case is unique, obviously. every Everybody's situation is a little different. There is no cookie cutter client. You're working with people and you, you, know, you start the journey by understanding their situation and you have a lengthy conversation about where are we right now? What's happening? Why did you reach out to me? And from there, you start to talk about options and maybe what's already in place, what needs to be in place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even though the name of the company is Assisted Living Locators, and I do oftentimes help a family find an assisted living community for a loved one, there's so much more to it than that. Obviously, I'll help with independent living, memory care. Um, many times families just need the, the name of a good in-home care company. 
to get yeah. things started with a little little assistance in the home. It's probably not going to be sufficient for the long term, but that's usually where you start because you know these adult children that have become now caregivers of mom or dad, they've got families, they've got careers. They can't put their life on hold and do everything now. Right. So they need some help. And a lot of times that's just one of the many in-home care or in-home skilled care companies. Well, it's it's a start too. Those of us, and believe me, like I said, my sister and I are right there and we have each other to work yeah. with. And because I'm familiar with the industry, because of the different positions I've had, well, it's a little bit easier for us, but not for yeah. everyone. But usually that first step is bringing someone into the home because it's, you've promised your mother or your father that you would never put them in a nursing home. You promised that. And so to get it, wrap that around our heads as children of yeah. these, uh, of our parents now, you know, or the parents for now they're the children. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you're trying to keep that promise. And so it's a way for you to wrap your head around what's coming up. Right. Mm-hmm. And you yeah, can and I, do that. I had that exact same promise with my father. I mean, he was adamant. He was never going to go to one of those places. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the education that goes on is people don't realize just what is available out there. So when you talk about those places or retirement homes or old folks homes, these are euphemisms for a type of property that, okay, still exists in some places. But for the most part, the offerings we're discussing are very welcoming and and vibrant places that have a lot to offer and they don't feel institutional. I mean, I, they're I'll communities. Just, they're they're communities. communities, yes. And and they get a little offended if you use the F word, if you call them facilities, facilities. because they don't be associated with that. Right. Um, and it's really where the whole assisted living industry came from. It was a reaction to those more institutional nursing homes where that maybe isn't always a good fit for the client. Maybe they just need some assistance, but they don't need full-on skilled care. So why put them somewhere that feels like a hospital and a hospital bed and there's no comfort? Let's make some assisted living properties that are home-like, but you do get some assistance. It's a nice It's like feeling like you're a little bit on vacation in some of these uh, places now, right? They're, They're pretty posh. So several of them are. Yes. And, and, you know, another thing they offer that, you know, for those of us that were put into that position of promising never to move mom or dad to one of those places is what happens is they stay at home. And even if you have in-home care, that's not social living. You know, you only can get so much from an aide bringing you a sandwich once a day. You know, you need people, you need someone to talk to. And these assisted living communities give you the ability to have conversations with your neighbors or go down to the dining hall and eat dinner with people and talk about the events of the day. You know, that's that's social living. And you really don't get that once you hit a certain point and you're living at home, probably alone. You know, that's when the uh, depression kicks in. And, and dementia. Other, yeah. And it gets of dementia. ugly. So I'm a big fan of the social aspect of the assisted living communities. So you don't just work with assisted, though. You work with independent because there's a different level to this. Yeah. It comes right before assisted and then yeah. Medicare. So can you talk a little bit about the differences? Absolutely. Um, a lot of times this is maybe a sliding scale. And I'll be honest, the lines between all three of those has, have become very blurred. Mm-hmm. So if you take the initial 
uh, independent living. This is um, usually like a, a rather nice hotel where you move in and you know you have an apartment, but they do some things for you, like they'll have a dining hall and they'll prepare meals for you. They'll do laundry for you. Um, all of your utilities are covered. You know, you don't have to worry about is the furnace going to make it through another winter, right? You don't have to worry about plowing snow or cutting the yard. So they take a lot of those things off your plate and allow you to just sort of live your life. You may even still continue to work and live at an independent mm -hmm. living. Um, or maybe you just begin the retirement process living there without worrying about any of that other stuff. It's a way to downsize. Um, oftentimes, those are in the same community as assisted living. So that as you need a little more help, maybe help showering or help getting dressed or help moving from the couch to the bathroom, assisted living can now provide some levels of assistance in addition to all of those other things I mentioned in independent living, the dining, the laundry, the cleaning. Um, and of course, if, if things progress and, and dementia comes into the picture, now you have memory care where you can have both secured and unsecured memory care, depending on how severe the dementia is. And now you have aids and uh, help that are properly trained to deal with the special needs of people with dementia and memory care needs. And some of these locations have all of this on one campus, right? Yeah. So the spouses can still be in the same area. One doesn't have to live at home and one in memory care, for example. Yeah, I had a client um, where he and his wife moved into independent living together and her dementia became more pronounced. So she moved over to the memory care wing and they're both still in the same community. He's just continued to live in independent living while she's being taken care of in memory care. And it's nice because they can have their meals together, they can spend time together. But when her dementia needs attention, um, the people are there to take care of that. And he can, he literally still works. He goes off to the office every day, but he comes home to the independent living side to be near his wife. Well, and that's such a lovely thing to be able to do because yeah. once again, spouses also promise each other, they're not going to leave each other. I'm not putting you in a home. And yeah. this way they're still together, but not And the, you know, as a caregiver, you need a break. So he can still yeah. be kind of a caregiver, but not do all the work. And that's another thing you have to take in consideration, Melinda, is that, you know, whether it's the adult children that become the caregivers or the spouse, that is a lot of responsibility. I mean, it's not just a few hours a week. Uh, it can be almost a full-time job. And if yeah. it falls yeah. on the spouse, they're usually just about as old as the person they're caring for. So they need to take care of themselves um, physically and mentally just as much as anyone else. Even if it's the adult children, you know, again, they may have families and careers. They can only do so much. And this is where this industry really helps provide a service to the families or the spouse, um, because it's very hard for anyone to do this on their own. Right. Community living has been very expensive for mm -hmm. in many areas. Uh, my mother was in a community up in Michigan and yeah. um what she paid seven years ago has like tripled. But yesterday I heard on the news that a lot of these communities are going back and they're thinking about revising the costs because there are so many seniors that just can't afford thousands of dollars per month. It, do you see that really happening? 
Um, I, for the first time, it's funny you mentioned that for the first time, just the other week, I was in a property and they were proud to announce that their monthly rate had come down in 2023. Rather unusual, but I saw it in action. They genuinely dropped their costs. Um, what you're talking about is actually one of the big challenges with this whole industry. If you have means and you have assets, you're fine. There are plenty of options and you're going to be taken care of. If you have next to nothing and you get on the Medicaid waiver, there are some properties that you can go to and you'll be taken care of under the Medicaid waiver. But if you fall in that middle area, um, the options get very few and far between. And that's unfortunate because that's a good portion of the demographic. And I kind of jokingly say, and I mean no disrespect when I say this, but whoever figures out how to make like the Southwest Airlines of assisted living is going to be a very successful person because it's a completely under uh, utilized sure, sure. member of the demographic. And when someone figures out how to provide decent living for that demographic, there's a population waiting to fill that gap. Right. Well, and they also need to, if you move in and it's reasonable in the beginning, but you run out of money, keep you. Many places don't take the waiver. They don't take yeah. Medicaid. So you might be very happy. You may have friends. You may be there a year, two years, but you run out of money. And if you're averaging 5000 or more a month, which is, you know, the lower end of assisted living, yeah. you're going to go real quick. You know, how yeah. much could you have saved? Yeah. And there are some places that will have maybe like a parachute so that if you do run out of money, they will start to accept the Medicaid waiver. But that's not a given. So that's something right. you want to think about when you move into a property is, well, what, what happens when we run out of money? Well, and the way this industry changes, and as you're well aware, people move jobs and companies oh, yeah. purchase. And in that purchase, your agreement with the first company may not work for the second company. So my advice is having done admissions is if it's possible to put in there that whoever purchases has to continue with your contract, that would be a big deal. Yeah. And in addition to the contract, obviously, there's the situation of everything is great the first two or three years, and then there's a significant change of management, maybe not even a different company owning the place, but they just, you know, change of personnel. Right. And the whole tenor of the property can change. Changes. And what used to be a really wonderful experience has now become, you know, less than wonderful. What do right. you do in that case? Do you pack it up and move to another place? Or do you weather the storm and hope that things settle down? It's hard to foresee that. No, it definitely is hard. And it can even be in a year's time. It can change rapidly. You Absolutely. might not even get two, three years out of that community. And mm -hmm. then moving's hard. Moving has a cost to it as well. So picking up and moving your items, the person themselves, they're not moving it. Either family comes in to move it or you hire movers again. Yeah, and that's disruptive. I mean, it's it's a challenge on the client because, you know, their whole world goes upside down. And uh, you want to minimize how many times you have to move. Especially dementia every yeah. time you make that major change they don't really recover yeah so there's a lot of moving parts in this decision and you know that's where i can help because for the average you know caregiver there's too much to consider and too many pieces to make sure you're covering all your bases and checking all the boxes as i said 10 years ago we didn't check all the boxes and make right. sure we were doing everything right um 
I'm a resource, a free resource to the family to help them hopefully get everything lined up and get through it a little easier than they might on their own. So can you walk us through a meeting? I'm I'm coming for my mom. Yeah. How would you start your process with me? Well, it's usually an opportunity for the family member to talk for a while. You know, I just, I want to hear their story. I want to hear uh, whether it's the senior themselves or the caregiver or the spouse. I want to hear what prompted you to reach out? Where are we today? What's been going on? And there's usually um, events that lead up to this conversation. You know, there've been some falls or we've been noticing certain behaviors that are new. And so you listen and you take notes and the family member, you know, begins to paint a picture of here's the situation with dad. And, and, you know, you begin to fill in some gaps. Okay. Well, and how old is dad? And does dad have any pre-existing conditions or have you ever had to go down this path before with another family member? And you start to put all this together. Um, you begin to ask questions, you know, do you have preferences on location? Are you hoping to stay in a certain area? Um, is the whole family around or is it, you know, across the country possibly, you know, who's going to be nearby to assist with this journey? Um, what's your budget? Have you planned what you can, what you can afford each month? You know, you touch on those legal documents. Do you have a will? Do you have uh, power of attorneys? Um, some of that. Um, so it, the first conversation is usually pretty lengthy and there's a lot of information exchanged. And based on that, I try to distill it down to some suggestions that I can come back to the family. Not a lot. I, I don't like to overwhelm the family with a lot of suggestions that you may get if you just went out and did a Google search. Um, if, if I come back with 10 options, I really haven't done my job. I'd like to come back with two or three, talk about it with the family. Why did I select these? Why do I think these would be a good match you know, for your loved one? And then depending on how they receive that information, I will be happy to schedule those tours. I will go on those tours with the family. We'll look at them. We'll talk about them. Uh, sometimes we'll do two tours, one time with just the caregivers, and then a second time with the caregivers and the senior themselves. The reason for that is sometimes a tour with the senior can get a little distracted. And I, I, don't, I mean, no disrespect here, but you, know, you spend a good portion of the tour tending to the immediate needs of the senior. And as a result, the caregiver or adult children don't get an op opportunity to ask all the questions they want answered. So sometimes going through one tour with just the caregivers allows you know, to get all a chance to get all those questions answered. So when you come back around with mom or dad, you can just focus on them and their impressions of what they're seeing and what they like. And you've already got all those answers about costs and amenities and contracts. Do you feel that the children frequently choose a, I don't want to say nicer because hopefully they're all nice that you're sharing, but a more costly location because there's a guilt factor. <laughs> and they, when you bring the senior in, the senior's like, oh, I don't need all that. And they probably right. don't. So they probably do don't. Absolutely. Um, you know, we all want to make mom and dad happy. We want to be good children. So it's very natural for those adult children to want the best for their parents, you know, whatever it takes, right? 
Right. Um, and many of the properties know that and they play on that fact. And you're right. When the senior themselves, the person who's actually going to live, live there, sees it, they dismiss quite a bit of it because like, well, I don't need that. I'll never use that. That's not important. I don't care about that. And and even if they don't say that explicitly, what's underneath it all is all of the opulence is great, but it comes down to the level of service. Are they going to be treated well here? Are they going to get what they need? Are they going to be taken care of in a way that you'll be happy with? And again, that's a very tricky thing to get from the internet, you know, right. that's more insider news and you have to keep your ear to the ground to hear. Do. Who's doing and that nice can change as we yeah. talked about, it can start out great and not be great later. Absolutely. Um, what I found it when I worked in a community is one lady chose the community because mm -hmm. it had pink rosebud wallpaper. <laughs> okay. And the reason she, and she's still there. And this has yeah. been, she moved in during COVID, so it's been a while, well, right before COVID, so maybe 2019. Yeah. But she chose it because it made her feel good. It made her feel homey, right? Like home. And we, again, as children, look at that like, oh my gosh, we want to put them on a permanent vacation. You're going to love this because we would love that. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily what they would love. You know, another thing that comes up, Melinda, is oftentimes people start off in one of those larger, uh, new, very attractive, I'll call them big box assisted livings. And, you know, it's it's great, looks beautiful. Um, and maybe it's good. Maybe it's okay on the care. But what happens is in the end, the senior realizes they're not really getting the attention they want mm -hmm. and they don't really feel at home. It's like living in a hotel. So yeah. sometimes they will gravitate towards those smaller residential assisted livings where it's a suburban house and maybe there are five to 10 residents there. That's a very personalized level of care when very you are neat. one of seven people. The Everybody who works there knows all about you. They know your, your food preferences. They know your medication schedule. You know, you're not just another number in a large, again, hotel. You're one person out of a handful that lives in a home. And I've seen several of my clients move in that direction because they want that intimacy. They want something more like what they had before they left that house they lived in, that home they lived in for 30, 40, 50 years. I think even looking in facilities that have, or I'm sorry, communities that have, that have um, 30 rooms or 40 rooms yeah. is still a reasonably small location yeah. versus something that has 80, 90, 100. It would be very yeah. hard to keep track of people. And, and again, I don't mean to disparage those properties that have no, 80, 90. They have a place. For and the reason they have a place is because we know what's coming, that the baby boomers are moving through this pipeline and there will be a time when there just aren't enough beds or apartments for all of these people. So that's why when you drive around and you see construction, chances are better than not that it's got something to do with senior living. Because just like all those public school buildings that were built in the 1950s to accommodate the boomer children, right. now we're building senior living to accommodate them as they move into that next chapter of their life. Well, and as you pointed out, boomers aren't the best savers. They have not been a saving <laughs> group. So you're going to need that in between. I'm just afraid it's going to be Medicaid and expensive, right? And there will be no in between. I think there are some creative individuals out there looking for ways to find that in between. Um, I have a colleague out in Arizona, which again, this won't apply necessarily in Northeast Ohio, but I think in Arizona, you could pull it off. 
they're looking for a way to do that more affordable assisted living mm -hmm. via trailer parks. And I know that oh, that term wow. comes with certain, you know, stigmas, but, you know, if you can make it nice enough and safe enough, and therefore the overhead is lower because of the nature of the building, maybe now that is closer to that Southwest Airlines of senior living. Even here in Northeast Ohio, I know of a gentleman who went in with a couple other investors and they bought a hotel that had sat mm -hmm. vacant and they're in the process of revamping that into lower cost uh, assisted living. And I think they're so, going to accept Medicaid or you can stay. In I think they are. And I think you're going, to see more, you're going to see more people going about this with creative ideas like that um, because again, there's a need for it and a lot of people can't afford the current options. Right. So we're going to have to get creative and come up with something else. Well, aren't a lot of corporations now coming in and trying to buy up these communities? Um, I know one in my area that was private and yeah. people loved it. In fact, uh, we had thought my mother-in-law was going to go there, uh, but she passed before that all happened. Mm -hmm. But now it's owned by a huge corporation. Yeah. And it is totally different. And I've heard people who are living there saying, you know, I have to eat dinner at 4.30. There aren't multiple sittings because the new corporation made these rules. Or I now have to pay extra for somebody to help me put my pills together. You know, um, and it's frustrating because you want community and community means people who know you and understand you. Um, is that a... Is that really a big change that we're seeing? Well, unfortunately, Karen, it is happening. Um, and, and what you've described is oftentimes the side effect of a corporation buying up some of these properties that may have originally been family owned. Mm -hmm. um, the trouble is this is one of those more sensitive industries where, you know, it's not like buying cars or selling widgets. You're dealing with people's lives. And as a result, if you try to institutionalize it and turn it into a commodity, it oftentimes falls flat. You know, um, we're, we're willing to accept a certain level of impersonal indifference when you buy a cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts or something. It's another thing when you're moving a loved one into a property expecting a level of care. You know, analytics and spreadsheets don't really fall into that equation. So when a big business gets into that, it's not always a good marriage, you know, no. not saying they all do a poor job of it, but yes, there's many stories where a privately owned community or series of community is bought by a larger national chain. And then, yeah, things go sideways. It That's goes the way that you see with other companies, just any industry, right? right. It becomes a dollar base and not a person base. And I think our industry has totally changed from COVID. I mean, I think everyone would agree with that. The caregiver yeah. level has changed. People don't want to do what they used to do. It's just, and it's something that isn't going to be fixed right away. I don't really know how that's going to be fixed. More money does not, throwing money at it to pay somebody more is not going to fix that problem. I'm not saying that they aren't underpaid because it is a tough job. It truly is a tough job. But- that being said, you what happened to the person who went into it because they love to do it and they love yeah, to take care of the senior. You're, you're touching on a very uh, challenging aspect of all of this that we're talking about is you can keep building these properties and making more 
apartments available, put more beds out there, whatever term you want to use. The question has to come back to who is going to work in these communities? Where are you going to find the caregivers to tend to all of these baby boomers that are going to be filling up these beds? Um, COVID did a number on taking people out of the industry. A lot of people just threw up their hands and said, I can't do it. I, I, I just can't take it on a day-to-day -day basis. And they've stepped away from it. So you have a smaller pool to draw from mm -hmm. um, as you keep building more of these assisted living memory care properties, where are you going to find the people? And I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to anything I'm going to say here, but, you know, I wonder if you go back to something similar to like um, the, uh, the idea of maybe paying college students one of their four years of college in return for an agreement to do maybe two years of service in one of these properties. Don't have to be in the medical field. You don't have to be properly trained. Maybe you're just an entry level aide, but you know, some kind of a relationship where, listen, we'll give you something like a free year of college if you come and work for us for a few years, maybe similar to the Peace Corps. Back right. Um, because I don't, I really don't know where you're going to find these people otherwise. So maybe what you do is you just uh, recruit from the general population and say, listen, somebody is better than nobody. You know, with a little training, we can get you up and running. So at least you can do some of the entry level tasks because I, I don't have a lot of other great ideas on where you're going to find these aids. Well, one of the things in a previous community that I worked at was other seniors. Other seniors understand how to take care of a senior, right? So they have to, if they're a healthy senior, and senior, by the way, is 55 and over, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe someone's looking to retire early, but they still need some income. Or they want to volunteer. They they go to a senior center. They do all the exercises. But at the end of the day, it's not enough for them. They want to help somebody else. To me, that's an untapped market. And to so that give point, somebody a great idea. There's there's a nice thing I've seen in some properties where they will um, take advantage of their residents to help out around the community. Because one of the things we do a terrible thing with is we get a senior to a certain point and we go, you know what, you're retired, you worked hard your whole life, sit down, we'll take care of you. And now the senior has no purpose, right? They, right. they have no reason to get out of bed in the morning. They don't have any activity. So some of these communities will enlist their residents to do things like work at the little uh, general store they have on, on site. Or maybe uh, one of them will be the beautician that works in the salon cutting everybody's hair. You know, maybe they help out in the cafeteria, you know, bust the tables, give them something to do, you know, don't just drop them on a couch and say, here, watch the prices right till the end of time. Give them a purpose. And I think that's a great idea for those places that are leveraging that. If you think about Florida, let's take Florida where the Mecca, all right, everyone goes to Absolutely. in Arizona. Yeah. Who, who are the, um, what we used to call the bag boys? They're all seniors. <laughs> yeah. They're not teenagers bagging your groceries. They're seniors and they want to walk you to your car. I remember saying, oh, no, I can get it. But it still was part of the service. It was part of what yeah. they wanted to do. Yeah. And if you take that concept and use it in the communities that we are building, I think that could be a huge difference for income, Absolutely. you know, to keep the prices reasonable. If it's maybe you give them a discount off of their room for providing service there. 
Maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting ideas being kicked around. And I will step back a second. You know, I mentioned I came from a corporate IT role. And when I got into IT back in the, literally back in the 90s, I referred to it a lot as the Wild West. You know, this was long before everything was bought by Microsoft and Apple. Um, this was a time when people were just trying stuff and putting things out there. And some of it would work and go on to prosper. Other things would fail. Big companies started buying up the ones that worked. But in the beginning, it, there was a lot of um, just try it, see what happens. Mm -hmm. I feel that the assisted living senior community right now is in that same type of Wild West environment. And I don't mean that in a scary way. What I mean is there's a lot of people trying to come up with ideas, solve a very real problem that isn't going to go away with just wishful thinking. And you've got people genuinely trying something to help this population. Um, I mean, I know you're familiar with this, Melinda, but, you know, you'll have security companies that have changed from looking outside the house for, you know, disturbances or intruders to turning the cameras inside the house to monitor mom and dad so the family can stay comfortable knowing that even though I live four states away, I can check in on mom and dad and make sure everything's okay today. So it's we, a way to get creative with your services. We have that family. now with for my mother, like an app. It's like mom TV. Yeah, because yeah. you can watch everything that she does in a day and we can yeah. go back because she does have memory issues. Just to mm -hmm. say the aid didn't show up today. Well, we know the aid came up because we have a keypad on the door. Each number, each uh, code goes to the individual coming in. So we know who comes and goes at all times. Yeah. It registers on the app that the door has opened and we can say, yep, mom, she did show up this morning and she got here at, you know, 830 or 832. We can tell her exactly. So that is gives you a little peace of mind. And the, the other place it gives you peace of mind is in these communities, because we've all heard horror stories about communities. And each state is different. But now in Ohio, at least, you have the right to put a camera in the room to watch your loved one. So it's just another example of you know people trying to be creative and come up with a way to get through this situation. So one of the things I want to point out to people who are listening is what makes mm -hmm. you different yeah. in Googling, going online with some of the companies online that will say, mm -hmm. hey, give me your information and we'll send you 25 places to go to in a 25 mile radius. Yeah. And what makes you different is what's your difference? The personalized service. I mean, it really is like a concierge type business. I'm very hands on. Um, I meet in person with the families. I tour with the families. I don't overwhelm them with a large number of options. As I said, if I give them 10 options, I really haven't done my job. Based on what we've talked about, I should be able to come back with two to three very good suggestions to investigate. Um, I think when you start to shotgun the options, both to the properties and to the family, you're overwhelming both ends of the spectrum. Well, those they're going to get a thousand calls. A yes. thousand calls, because I had to be one of those people. So I get it. You know, and who wants call. that? Right. And they'll be like, oh, my God, you're my 10th call today. You know, I'll get back to you. And they get frustrated. Right. And they're already in a frustrated situation because they're thrust into this caregiver role. So why add to the stress by bombarding them with a lot of wasted phone calls, both properties and families? So to your question, uh, Melinda, a lot of what I do is handholding, listening, helping them through the journey, um, you know, 
sometimes people just want to talk and just tell you a little bit about what's going on. And so you're a, you know, a sympathetic ear and you keep things moving. Um, that's another thing that I like about what I do is I can kind of play um, that agitator, if you will, to kind of keep the ball rolling so that, you know, you don't fall back into the status quo and say, well, we're not going to do anything right now because mom's okay. We'll, we'll check again in three months. If you kind of keep pushing it a little bit, maybe the family will decide to go ahead with something that they may have just sort of tiptoed around for another six months when right. maybe that's not the right thing to do. And it's very overwhelming. So they may own a home. The home may be cluttered with a lot of their personal mementos that yeah. the kids don't really want, don't know how to get rid of. So what other types of services can you turn people on to to help that process to move forward? Yeah, that's that's a big part of what I do is, yes, I work with assisted living properties, independent memory care, but I work with a lot of downsizing companies, realtors, financial planners, elder law attorneys, um, rehabilitation centers, rehabs, uh, subacutes, all kinds of other, and I'm going to use the F word here, other types of facilities that make sense when that is needed, right? Um, my favorite story in this vein is I met a gentleman who has a landscaping company and uh, we had a nice conversation. And later that afternoon, he called me back and he said, David, I wanted you to know I have another business. And I said, well, that's nice. And he goes, yeah, I own a, a, an armory. I have a firing range. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And he goes, David, you're working with seniors. And oftentimes when they're downsizing, they need a safe and legal way to dispose of guns. He said, I'll buy them from you. So, you know, I have a gun guy and it's in a very realistic need sometimes because you can't just put those in the garbage or give them to the neighbors. You and who would have to... thought about that? I actually exactly. didn't think about that. And I'll tell you what, and I'm just going to put this out there in case anybody hears this and can pass on some information. The similar type of contact I'm looking for now is a resource that can take the family pet with the knowledge. Absolutely. It will not be put down yeah. after 30 days if it's not adopted the family wants a way to let go of that loved family yes. member the pet mm -hmm. but they don't want to think that well if it's not adopted by the end of the month it's going to be euthanized it's, i'm looking for an agency that, that will do that for a family when we're off i'll talk to you i did I that i worked in elder law and many of our clients that was their biggest concern trying yeah. to provide for their pet which is a family member yeah, And it's very, very difficult because as you all are aware of, just in the general population, we have so many animals that are looking for a home. And many times with seniors, their pet is a senior. So with that pet senior comes pet medical. And so that makes it even that much harder for someone to adopt. So anybody wants to start a new business out there, here you go. We put it another operative. Wow. Here's another so one. Ideas. Here's another one. Okay, after you after you do the Southwest Airlines of assisted living and after you do the pet management, another thing that keeps coming up in my conversations with both families and properties is transportation. Mm -hmm. The 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 options for senior transportation, they do exist, but there is an untapped market there. Somebody could really come in and provide a better option for people that can no longer drive at a reasonable price at a reasonable price. Yes. Mm -hmm. So transportation is another area that could really use some attention because seniors don't really know how to use Uber. Right. 
I mean, my mother would never, she can barely use her phone, let alone Uber anywhere. And they don't trust them. It's not a yellow taxi cab coming up. So if you order an Uber for your loved one, they may not get in it. Well, one of the biggest complaints my mother had where she was living, um, and it was a huge campus, um, mm -hmm. she had to call in advance for the van on mm -hmm. shopping day. And I think the van only seated like 12 people. And yeah. she didn't think about it in a week in advance, okay? Or she would schedule it and then realize she didn't want to go shopping on that day. And if you canceled at the last minute, you had to go to the bottom of the line for a mm -hmm. while. And the day that she told me about that, she was in Michigan. I was here and I, I went up there and I asked questions and they said, oh yeah, that's, those are our rules. And I said, but just in independent living, you have 400 apartments, mm -hmm. excuse me a 12 person van and it was, well, you could hire somebody to take her shopping, which is what we ended up doing. Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. The transportation issue is, is a big one. It's a yeah. big piece. And there's liability with transportation. If someone's in a wheelchair, you know, I, Karen knows, you don't know, David, that I've started my own little side business working with seniors, being that person, not home care, mm -hmm. but that person that, last minute grocery pickup, last minute prescription yep. pickup. Um, mom's in a, a rehab and you're in Arizona. I can do that visitation. Mm -hmm. But what you, a lot of these services do is they like they pick you up, they drop you off. They may not come back for two or three hours. Most yeah. seniors can't be out that long. My mother couldn't. In fact, I'm going to give a horror story real quick. I, we had a local service that her insurance covered, pick her up at her rehab to take her to a doctor's appointment where I was meeting her because it's too hard for me to lift a full-size wheelchair. Okay? Right. She doesn't show up. She doesn't show They didn't show up. They were late. The appointment was 10. They didn't show up till 1130. So luckily, the people at the doctor's office said, bring her as soon as she gets here. Okay, we do this. She doesn't show up. She doesn't show up. They dropped her off at an office building and left her. Left her. It's incredible. And they handed her a piece of paper and said, call when you're ready to come back. They didn't put her in a doctor's office. She wasn't in. She was two exits away from where she was supposed to be. It was horrible. Yeah. So you're right. Good transportation at a reasonable cost is definitely a need. Yeah. And then the and then I'm trying to fill the need by helping people with the things that happen like to Karen's mom. I mean, there's nobody to do that. Right. And, and this goes to my snarky comment about wild West. I mean, we're trying yeah. things, you know, people are. are just getting creative and saying, I see something that's missing and I want to find a way to fill that void. So I think there'll be a lot of this over the coming decade where people are just going to get creative ideas to address many of the issues mm -hmm. that we don't even think of, you know, much like the gun guy. Uh, a lot of people would never think ahead that I need a resource to do that. It's only one of the many that are going to crop up. Right. And especially since more and more people have guns today. Mm -hmm. And then the other question would be, is there somebody like test uh, for driving where you take away the driver's license? Is there testing to take away a gun at some point? <laughs> because maybe they're not capable. Right. And, and the point. family knows that, but they can't just walk in and take it away because mom or dad will freak out. 
So if you can do some sort of testing to prove to them, like they do for driving, there's a whole nother industry there for sure. You, you hit on two very good topics, Melinda, both with the guns and the cars. Um, something I've said a lot over the last year is that we as a Western society have done a very good job of creating a structure for the first 20 years of life. You know, after you're born and you run around in the diaper, we send you off to school in some form for about the next 15 years. And then when you're around the age of 20, we cut you loose and you go off and you're an adult and you get married and have kids and get a career. We don't have a similar structure for that last 20 years of life. And again, it's going to be different for everybody, the same way that the formative years are different, but we don't really have a structure. And the example I always use is the car keys. We mm -hmm. don't have a good way of giving people around a senior uh, the tools necessary to take away those car keys in a way that doesn't turn into a very big, ugly argument. Right. As long as you can go into the DMV and squint through that little screen and read the small print once a year, we'll give you those keys for another 12 months. Just I hope you can drive. We don't have a great way of making sure that even though you can see, you can still react and you can still make good decisions in a timely manner. And as a result, most people don't know how to effectively take away the car keys or give up the car keys, partly because of what we were talking about a moment ago, the transportation options options right. are so limited. You take away my car keys and now I'm pretty much stranded. Well, so okay. huge situation. Now, when you go in, you can get your license for eight years. Used to be four. Now it's yeah. eight. So imagine being 65 or 70 and you have to renew. And you're like, I'm going to do eight years because nobody's taking my license away from me. It's not just about convenience now. It'll be a way to keep your license longer. What we did is when my mother's car broke down, we never fixed it. Well, I was just as bad. The way we took away dad's car keys is he finally got into an accident, totaled the car. No one was hurt. But when there was no more car, that made taking away the car real easy. That's a terrible way I know. to take away driving privileges. Well, and depending on the person and their means, they can get their car fixed or go buy a new car. No one's going to stop them. And yeah. they do it. And then they have a new car to get in a car accident with. I had a really uncomfortable situation a few weeks ago. I was at a senior center, literally calling bingo. And afterwards, a lady came up to me and she said, do you know how to turn off the windshield wipers on a Subaru? And I'm like, I said, I don't know. I guess I could take a look. And so I went out to her car with her and the back windshield wiper was on and they didn't, she didn't know how to turn it off, nor did her husband. And I showed her how to turn it off. She goes, can you show my husband? So here comes this older man, maybe in his eighties, he's on an oxygen tank. He's moving very slowly. And I'm showing him now how to turn off the windshield wipers on his car. Why? Because on their way to bingo, they had somehow come on they were frustrating him. He couldn't figure out how to turn him off. I showed him. And afterwards, he said, thank you. And here's this man getting into the car with the oxygen tank. And I send him off on his way. And I thought, I just enabled that. That did yeah. not make me feel very good. But what do you do? You know, it's his yeah. car. He's allowed to drive. And he just can't seem to work the windshield wipers. Well, That's most of our communities are spread out, too. If you think about how communities used to be just in daily life, they were city. So you could walk, you could get a ride, right. you could do all of those things. You could hop on the bus or toddle on the bus. We don't have that now. We have suburbs. Unlike Europe, where most things, again, are kept together, where families take care of each other, yeah. right? Because that's that's how we started. 
but somehow our U.S. culture changed. And it's all about being independent and being away. And unfortunately, now we're seeing what can happen when you build a whole life like that. The other thing I think is people used to die. They would retire. My grandfather retired at 65 now. He lived till 86, but he was one of two, three of his friends. They all died within three years. We don't have that anymore. People live longer. We have good medicine to have people or adequate medicine. Karen and I have had a show on med on uh, <laughs> physicians, yeah. but reasonable medicine to keep people alive longer. Yeah. So the driving is a bigger issue. And my grandfather knew he would say, he'd pick me up at the airport and then he'd say, you can drive because it made him uncomfortable. He would only yeah. go short distances. Yeah. And to your point, Melinda, you know, once upon a time, families took care of their their elders. Everybody lived under one roof. Well, we don't do that anymore. And families don't all live in the same area. Um, this is also why these properties have um, increased in numbers because more often than not, the family isn't around mom or dad anymore. Right. And that happens a lot. And it's a nice part about this company in particular, Assisted Living Locators, because we're a franchise and I have colleagues all over the, you know, the nation if you have the children living in Denver, let's say, but mom or dad lives here in Cleveland, I can work with my colleague out there and we can handle both ends of, you know, the, the situation right. because it's very rare when the whole family still lives in one area. Right. Absolutely. So being able to get help where the other family members are is a nice part of this business. So believe it or not, our time is about up. So before oh we go... We didn't answer the question. I know you said very. we're a free service. So explain yes. that before you go and then how people can reach out to you. Sure, of course. Um, it is a free service to the family. So um, I never cost the family a dime. So you might as well ask questions and pick my brain because there's no downside to the family for doing that. Um, the way that we make money is if I do help place a well-vetted client at a property, the property will pay me a finder's fee, very similar to like a headhunter bringing a good employee to a company and then being compensated by the company for bringing them that candidate. Um, our business model is very similar. We work with a family and find the right place. And if a match is made, then we will be paid a finder's fee. And you can say, well, this is great for everybody, but the property, they're the ones who have to shell out dollars. Um, a colleague of mine put it in perspective one time when he said, you know, we are the best marketing dollars a property can ever spend because they only pay it when it works, when they right. actually get a good resident. So I like the business model in general. It's great all the way around. Um, the family wins because it doesn't cost them any money and they get the help they need. Um, I like it because it's a business and I can make a living doing it. And the properties benefit because they get a good match not just a warm body that's going to move on in two mm -hmm. months because it was never a good match in the first place. Right. And the people can trust you because you do that. The communities, you know, the changes as we started out earlier talking about yeah. um, versus getting that blast from online sources where you have no clue. Right. Yeah. And that's, this is what I live. You know, I'm in and out of these properties all week long um, talking with the executive directors and the admissions directors, the activity coordinators, uh, I'm in and out of them. I see what's happening. I get the, the, you know, what's the tenor like today? Are there people milling around? Are they talking? Are they happy? Are they saying hello to you as you pass? You start to pick up on that and you can figure out pretty quickly which ones are 
vibrant communities and which ones are pretty stale and maybe mm. not a great place to recommend to a family member. Or pictures online look good, but when you get there, there's a lot of repairs and things that need to be done. Yeah, there's right. there's a whole lot of those um, nonverbals that you'll see when you walk through or smell when you walk through right. that you Big don't get there. from the you know, that everybody's got a very beautiful website, but when you go into the property, things start to get a lot more real and you very quickly understand what you're up against. My my two cents is somebody who did the admissions for three types of buildings, ask questions, not just you, but the family when they come in, ask questions yeah. about if there is a smell, hmm, I notice you have an odor. Now, sometimes somebody really did just get sick or they have little virus going around. And of course, just like in your own home, those smells don't go away immediately. If somebody can explain what's going on, that's one thing. But if they brush it off, that's a warning sign. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point, Melinda. Have both questions from me because I don't want to hijack the tour. If I'm walking through with the admissions director and the family, I don't want to do all the talking because really this is their opportunity mm -hmm. to sell the property to the family. But I will interject now and then if I think something was uh, missed or something was glossed over a little too quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So how does someone reach out to you? Well, uh, the name of the company is Assisted Living Locators. Uh, my phone number is 330-348-0957. My email address is dkoch at assistedlivinglocators.com. Um, if you go to assistedlivinglocators.com, there's an ability to put in your zip code. It will tell you that if you're in my area, I'm the guy to talk to. Again, we have uh, franchisees all over the country. So if I'm not the right one, one of my colleagues will help you. And we do work well together. So even if you're not in my area, but maybe mom and dad is, we'll probably still end up working together. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you coming on and hopefully someone will reach out to you soon. If anybody I has questions, they can reach out to me, to me through uh, our post and Karen will post that information as well. Absolutely. So I really appreciate the opportunity, Melinda. Thanks for having me today. Have Thank a you. great day. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye-bye.